of our time here today, 1 Corinthians 12. And remember last week we were talking about the priority in service and serving one another. Our priority must be our personal holiness. Our priority must be growing in our own relationship with Jesus Christ. And serving without that is detrimental. Detrimental to you and others around you. We must be vitally connected to the Lord Jesus Christ as we're seeking to serve. Coming today, we're going to be talking about gifting for service. And I know immediately, especially looking at 1 Corinthians 12, when you talk about spiritual gifts, we immediately think of the whole cessationist, continuationist debate. We're not going to have that debate today. (laughs) Um, More than happy to have that. And if you want to talk about that, Caleb and I would be happy to talk about it. We'd be happy to even do a lesson on that. But we're not going to talk about that today. 1 Corinthians 12 has so much to say about spiritual gifts that is broader than that debate. And just to give you the reason why I chose this passage, just look at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The whole purpose of this chapter is to teach you about what spiritual gifts are. And so if we're going to talk about gifting for service, I feel like you, you have to go through this chapter. You have to look at this chapter. So that's why we're looking at it today. Just to prime the pump a little bit, I want to make reference to our confession. In chapter 27, paragraph 1, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, we read, All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by His Spirit and faith, although they are not made thereby one person with Him, have fellowship in His graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. So it's talking about the union we have with Christ. And it goes on to say, And being united to one another in love... They have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, in an orderly way as do conduce to their mutual good both in the inward and outward man. Just as we are united in Christ and we benefit from what Christ has done for us and what He has offered to us, so we are united to each other as believers and we are to benefit from the graces and gifts that we individually have for each other's benefit. That's what we're looking at today. Now, um, walking through first, oh, we're going to see all this. And just to put a plug, our sister church down in, well, used to be Logansville, is now Bell Fountain. I don't know the name of the podcast, so that might make plugging them difficult. But the podcast, it's... Uh, I think it's Logansville. I got to look it up now because I don't know if they are changing the name of the church to Redemption Bible Church. I believe the podcast feed is Logansville Church. So look for either of those. But our brother Dana Kidder is preaching through First Corinthians, and he just finished First Corinthians twelve. So if you want a resource that might be helpful in studying these things, I would recommend that to you. But it's unfortunate timing because they've changed locations really in the last week. So with that, 1 Corinthians 12. Um, we already looked at verse 1. 
This is the reason for our study of this text. Paul is saying, you want to know about spiritual gifts? I'm going to tell you about spiritual gifts. That's what I'm endeavoring to do in this chapter. And when you look at verses 2 and 3, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except, by, or except in the Spirit. And in a way, there's a doctrinal qualification for understanding the gifting of someone. Someone is cursing the name of Jesus Christ. They're not. They're not a brother. They're not a believer. And someone can only genuinely praise God because the Spirit of God has changed their hearts. We know that our hearts fundamentally were enemies of God. We hate God. We can't praise God genuinely outside the gifting of the Spirit. But what I find fascinating is the language that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. Idols who could not speak, could not communicate. And the contrast is with our God, who is not mute, who does speak. And we see the speaking through God's people that Jesus is Lord. And we th- see the speaking through His Word as it's exegeted, especially as we consider later on. Paul goes on to talk about spiritual gifts. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And you're going to notice the overwhelming theme of this chapter is unity. The overwhelming command, emphasis of Paul We're not to be fighting one another about these things. We're not to be seeing ourselves as superior or others as inferior. It's all the one Spirit, the one God who works these things, this variety of things in all of His people. Verse 7 is very helpful. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So not only do we have this one Spirit manifesting to each a gift, one, to each a gift, we should take to imply that everyone has a gift. Everyone that is born again, everyone that belongs to Jesus Christ, is given some gift for what purpose? For the common good. So, you're seeing how unity is inseparable from this conversation. You can't have this conversation without without unity. Whatever gifting we may have, it's for the benefit of others. If I see myself as gifted in a particular way, I'm not entitled to use that gifting for my personal benefit, for personal gain, I am actually obligated to use that for the benefit of my local body. And the same is true of you. There's actually an obligation on us to serve for the common good of our local body. First Peter 4 
is helpful here. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him be long glory and dominion forever. Amen. And you see, again, we're commanded to serve one another. We're commanded to use the gifts that God has given us for the common good. When you get to verses 8 through 11, you get to one of these lists. And there's multiples of these lists. You've got Romans 12 and you've got Ephesians 4 especially that are giving a list of gifts. And right away, recognize these are different lists. Which tells us immediately, this is not an exhaustive list. We're not meant to think that whatever gifting I might have, I have to pick from the list here. (laughs) This is a representative list of examples to make a point. And again, I think the point is that we're to serve one another in unity. But what do we have? For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Not to beat a dead horse, but what is the most repeated word in this, par- in this section? By the same Spirit. Spirit. For the first several gifts, is just by the Spirit. By the one Spirit. Paul is like pounding into your head It's the one Spirit that gives all these things. Emphasizing his overwhelming point is that there should be unity here. Even in the varied gifts. Just to explain some of these a little bit, when we think of wisdom, wisdom can be simply defined as the skill of living. The skill of living well. And but the Spirit can give particular wisdom to individuals for the benefit of others. We see with knowledge, someone is able by the Spirit of God to especially know the Word of God deeply and is able to use this knowledge for the benefit of others. When we think of the gift of faith, this, I think we can see this in church history with a lot of the martyrs, those that are being marched to be killed, And even as the flames are burning, they're singing hymns. And we think, how is it possible someone can do that? Well, I can tell you, those individuals would tell you, it's not because I'm so spanky. (laughs) It's not because I'm special. But it's because the Spirit has given in that moment what was needed. A faith that is unshakable. Just to touch on it. We as a church, we as the elders, believe that these uh, miraculous gifts are not, are not in use today. And like I said, if you want to talk about it, we're more than happy to talk about it. But just to point out the one thing, 
about these gifts, again, even at this time, and for those that claim to use them, they must be used for the benefit of others. And so often what we see, especially when people talk about a private prayer language, it's hard to see that as for the common good and in line with what we do see in the Bible about tongues. And when you come to the purpose of these things, I, 1 Kings 17.24, I think, gives us the purpose statement for these miraculous works. Remember, this is when Elijah raises the widow's son and when, she, when he has raised the widow's son, the woman says to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So all these gifts, we believe, especially the miraculous ones, are meant to point the people that see them to say, Wow, what a great God. And unfortunately, from a lot of what we see on TBN and stuff, that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is... What a great guy in an expensive suit that is doing these things. Enough on that. Looking at the gift of prophecy, we're talking largely about the gift to preach. The gift not only to teach, but to teach in such a way, thus saith the Lord, this is binding on you, you must respond to this. And the Spirit certainly gifts in this way. The ability to distinguish between spirits It's a very important gift when we consider Matthew 7. There are wolves among God's people in sheep's clothing. And we thank God that He's gifted some with the ability to be a particular kind of shepherd in smelling a wolf. Look again at the last in verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We're commanded to develop. We're all commanded to beware of false teachers, right? We're all commanded to do that. And so we're all responsible for doing that. But the Spirit does apportion a certain gift as He wills for the benefit of His people. And just because He may... Apportion that gift particularly to one member in a local assembly does not mean that the rest are off the hook. And just as he gives some in the congregation particular ability to absorb the Word of God like a sponge does not mean the rest of us are off the hook for seeking to ingest the Word of God however we can. And just to continue to see the unity theme, for just as the one body is one and has many members and all the members of the one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Just going on. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, what would, that would not make it any less part of our a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. 
It's an opportunity to beat the drum of church membership again and to elevate the importance of that. God talks about the members of our body here, different parts that are all necessary to the normal, healthy functioning of the human being. And just as it's ridiculous for us to consider if I just start lopping off parts of the body, it's going to function well and healthily, it should also be ridiculous for us to consider in our local assembly, well, we can do without that family. They're not. They're not really pulling their weight. They're not helpful. And, you know, we can ignore this family, push them off to the side. We should think of that in the same way. We should value, just as we value all parts of our body, we should value all parts of the local body. And we're going to see in the next section, I think it's even more helpful The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again uh, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weak to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We know that some of these gifts are more public than others. Probably the most public are what Caleb and I do. We get up in front, we talk for a while, and hopefully it's beneficial for God's people by the Spirit of God. But all of you are gifted for a certain way of service. And the emphasis of this text is that it is dangerous thinking and terribly unbiblical thinking to think of Caleb and I as superior to you in any way. We're equals. Qualifications of elder don't say this is the superior man. We're just gifted in different ways. And so the one that the gift of the uh, particular saint is to be in the prayer closet, say for an hour a day, every day, two hours a day, every day, praying for the saints, that gift is just as valuable as everything you see publicly done among God's people. And God has put that gift in this body for the benefit of the people. And that's to be celebrated, even though it may be, you know, hidden He talks about the unpresentable parts of the body. There are parts of the body we hide for good reason. There are certain members of the body we're not necessarily trying to hide, but their gifts are just visible, but no less valuable. And you can see certainly here the antagonism. There is no no room for I have no need of you. All the parts of the body are equally important. And we think of Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has gifted all of us and given us works to perform with those gifts. And they're all needed for the healthy functioning of this body.
If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And as much as that seems like a beautiful ideal, that is what we're striving for. And it takes time to develop this kind of relationship. It takes proximity, closeness to develop this kind of relationship. This is what we're striving for as a people, however imperfectly. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I, sh- I will show you still a more excellent way. And just to point out immediately the foolishness of the idea that speaking in tongues is an, is an idea of actually being saved. Like, even believing in the continuation of tongues, like, the text is obviously implying not everyone's going to speak. But that aside, um, I want to I touch on a few modern problems we're having when we consider gifts. One of them is that when we start talking about gifts, and maybe you're even doing this now, we start to... St- to really turn our heads and look inward. Well, what is my gift? And start, you feel like you're spinning your tires in mud until you can identify your gift. And then you're firing on all cylinders and you're ready to go and you're really ready to dive into service in the church. I would encourage you, you don't see that anywhere in the Bible. You don't see this introspections that's like, I've got to figure out what gift God gave me before I can do anything. You don't see that anywhere. You see commands to serve. You see commands to serve in various capacities. And you just dive in and do it. And I believe as you do that, God's people will point out where your gifting is. People are going to notice And there's going to be an external call. Brother, you seem much more gifted at this. And certainly I am. And apparently other people are. We would like you to see a particular way here. But for the people that hold back and want to be so introspective, navel-gazing, to figure out what their gift is, they're going to be lacking in serving because... They're waiting for this kind of clarity that I don't think Scripture gives us. Scripture tells us that all these gifts are out there and all these gifts are given, but He doesn't tell you how you find out which one is yours. And I don't think we're to spend a whole lot of time trying to figure it out without the help of the body. And just to throw it out there, maybe I'm cagey on this, but like when I was in, in my seminary training, the big thing was personality tests. Take your personality test, then we can tell you what your gifting is. It's not scriptural. And again, it, it cultivates an unhealthy self-evaluation. Uh, you are studying yourself. We're not meant to study ourselves. There's a lot of bad things in me that I don't want to study, Right? We're to study the Word of God. We're to look outward. 
Like I took the Myers-Briggs. I don't think it was that helpful. And just to throw it out there, just to say it, don't use the Enneagram or the Enneagram, however you say it, with its occultic ties. We're to study the Word of God and look outside of ourselves. And in line with this, another reason this is dangerous is because you get this idea in your head that once I found my gift, I'm off the hook for serving in other areas. This is my gift. This is where I'm serving. And you're actually harming me if you're asking me to serve in ways I'm not gifted. We're not, we don't see that in Scripture anywhere. And I think it's a very toxic way of thinking. The body will recognize your gifts as you are serving. And then you might be called to serve in particular capacities. In Acts 1, they got to find a replacement for Judas, right? we got to replace Judas. What do we see there? Do we see particular men saying, you know, I think I could replace Judas. Why don't you, why don't you throw my hat in the ring? You don't see that. In Acts 21 through 23, you read, So the men who accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was called Justus, Justus, and Matthias. The people put forward two. The people recognize the gifting in two men and put them forward and say, we think these two could make good candidates to replace Judas. When you go to Acts 6, you see something very similar with these proto-deacons in verses 3 through 6. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Again, you're not seeing particular man raising up their hand and saying, I think I can fill that role. I think I'm gifted by the Holy Spirit to do this job. No, the congregation puts these men forward. Says, we have a need. And I see in this brother a gifting to fill that need. And then there's essentially, does the body agree? So, we were sprinting through 1 Corinthians 12. Just want to remind you some of the main points we were trying to lay down. We do not serve a mute God like our pagan ancestors did. We serve the living God who speaks through His Word and His people. There are a variety of gifts. The ones listed in this chapter are meant to be some representative examples. Every believer is given at least one spiritual gift for the benefit of the body of Christ, the church. This variety of gifts is given by the one Spirit, one God, unity, Because our gifts are for the benefit of others and are given by the one Spirit of God, there is no reason for disunity in regard to our gifts. Six, we are all equals before God. And really, equals before each other, regardless of the gifts we have been given. There may be greater authority in the eldership, and to some degree, greater authority even in deacon work. 
but we're equals. There are no superior men or superior women amongst us. It is not for us to go into navel-gazing to discern our gifts, and certainly not for us to determine what we can and can't do for the body because of our perceived gifts. And finally, it is for us to serve and obey, and in that, let God reveal to us in His time, and often through His people, what our gifts may be. So, are there any comments or questions related to that? I think that is more helpful. Now, it's a gift to the church, not a gift to me. Yeah. I think that is more helpful, but I could see it being a little nitpicky for an individual where the where the community has recognized the gift and the individual just refuses to talk about it. That sure. could be a little nitpicky. Sure. But I do think it is helpful for us to praise God for the gifts he's gifted us in individual brothers. That just emphasizes what 1 Corinthians 12 is emphasizing, the unity that we have here. And the blessings that the gifts individuals are given are for the common good. I think that can be helpful. So, any other comments or questions? Andrea? Uh, this is a question you said this list is here is not exhaustive. Right. So if you say, okay, how do I identify something as a gift? Is it anything that you are good at that benefits the body of Christ? How would you define? Well, again, we're thinking about identifying it in others primarily. Necessarily looking at myself and trying to identify it. But I do think it's pretty broad. Like you even see administration listed at the end of 1 Corinthians 12. So I think it can be anything that a particular uh, ability a believer has that is used for the benefit of the body. I think any of that can be called a spiritual gift. Caleb? Just a comment on that. Or something that was helpful for me to think about was they're called spiritual gifts. Yeah. So that someone's maybe gift is really good at administration, but what makes it a spiritual gift is how that administration is done in a way that yes. um, accompanies the fruits of the Spirit for the body. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes, and especially the way that is used, like you said, for the common good, for the benefit of the body. Mark? Are the gifts perpetuals permanent, or does the Spirit give us gifts at different times for different things? Does He gift us maybe in certain years to do certain things, and then later on we don't have that same gift? And I thought it was interesting how you tied into Ephesians 10. That if we are good workmanship created Christ Jesus for good works, right? If we're doing those good works that He prepared beforehand for us to do, and, and the Holy Spirit is guiding us to do those works, we don't have to say, "Well, wait a minute, I don't have that gift, so I can't do that work." Right? No, we do have whatever He'll, he'll give us the gifts at those times, and I, I just never really thought of it exactly as do we have that gift forever, or is it is it our gifts? Mm-hmm. Interchangeable with the same person to do the good no. works. I don't know if 
I don't know if there's any reason to think that if once you've identified a gift, you always have that gift. <laughs> and like, nothing's going to change that. I don't know if there's any reason to think that way. And especially, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pursue. Right? Yeah. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. I think that probably, I think, implies growth and maybe even change in giftedness. Yeah. Pursue them, right? Yeah. And, and seek after yeah. acquiring some of them. And this isn't a biblical argument, more of a just as me, I'm thinking about it argument. So take that with a grain of salt. But, but as. These are for the use of the body. The gifts are given for the common good. And so as the needs of the body change, it would make sense that different gifts are taken that may not be as needed in the moment or certain gifts are added that weren't before because what is for the common good changes. Now some of that doesn't change. You always need people that are going to give the Word of God. You always need the service that's commanded in Scripture when you talk about can anything be a spiritual gift, there's, there may be some things that are more needed at a certain point in the local church's history than others. So, Jason. Just a quick comment. I mean, I just think it's cool to see how, like you say, like Moses was empowered by the Spirit to do miraculous gifts. Mm-hmm. No other reason to, to show that this message is from God. Yes. 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 And that's where it's so wonderful in Second Peter 1. This, this is an eyewitness to the transfiguration. And he says, but we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed and in the written word. Right. Absolutely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your help. We pray for the Spirit's help as we consider this text and how You bless Your people for the good of Your people and how You apportion the gifts that Your people need. We pray for wisdom. We pray for a spirit of peacemaking and unity as is so obviously Paul's concern in the writing of these chapters that we would value every member of our local assembly regardless of how visible or public their gifts may be. May we value them like we would value one of our fingers or one of our toes, that just as we would be loath to remove any of them for any reason, may we so value our brothers and sisters here in this local assembly. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.